When we experience a major change in our lives, the question we tend to ask ourselves is, now what? The honeymoon was great, you moved into your new home, now what? You started a new job, showed up at the office, met your colleagues, now what? You finally made it to retirement. You wake up the first morning, now what? Now what is the question we're addressing in this new Groundwork series entitled, How to Live in God's Presence? Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast. And Scott, we're beginning a new series and it's all going to be looking at the book of Leviticus. Which is a book we've not looked at, I don't think, before uh, on Groundwork, and that probably won't be a shock to a lot of listeners. Uh, it seems like by the time you got to Leviticus, it was starting to bog down a bit. Well, and it actually it kind of starts in Exodus. I mean, Exodus is a fast-paced drama for the first 20 chapters, and you get through the Ten Commandments, and then things slow down. We start getting rules, regulations, building instructions for the tabernacle. Then those building instructions get repeated in the actual building of the tabernacle, and then you get to Leviticus and its uh, laws upon laws. But as we'll see, Dave, there's wonderful things in this book. Right. Uh, and it also still has wonderful relevance and resonance for our lives. Leviticus 16 uh, tells the story of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, still the holiest day of the year for the Jewish people, and a day that uh, for Christians clearly has much to say pointing toward Christ in the great sacrifices that were offered then. Or you think of a, a verse like Leviticus 19, verse 18, which Jesus quoted. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's part of the, uh, the two commandments that summarize the law. So what we want to do in this series, this uh, program, the first program of four, as you said, Dave, an overview. Uh, what is it? Uh, what does it mean to live in the presence of God? That's sort of the question. Uh, the The people of Israel have been rescued from Egypt. They are now a nation, uh, a covenant people with God. God wants to live in their midst. What does that mean? So we'll do a little overview. Uh, in our next program, we'll think about holiness and what does it mean to be holy, as Leviticus calls us to be. Third program on the whole sacrificial system. Why was sacrifice needed to atone for sin? And the final program, we'll look at an interesting theme in Leviticus, and that is how do we treat the strangers, the aliens, the immigrants, the foreigners in our midst? It's kind of a big concern for God and for God's people, and that'll be the final program in this series. To begin with, we might just talk about its name, its title. In the Hebrew Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the names are taken from the opening words in Hebrew. And in the case of Leviticus, the opening word is Wayikra, which means, and he called. And the one who calls is the Lord, and the one whom he calls is Moses. So this is an introduction to the instructions that God is going to give Moses. It's literally the word of God. And it's interesting, Dave, the, um, the, the Hebrew titles for the first five books of the Bible are always just the first couple words. And if you know the Hebrew titles, you see that indeed these books are all in sequence. Now, the, the, title, the Hebrew title of Genesis is in the beginning. Then Exodus is, these are the names of all the descendants of Joseph who are in Egypt. Now Leviticus, and he called. Now God's going to talk to Moses. Uh, Numbers, the Hebrew title is, in the wilderness. And the Deuteronomy is actually, these are the words 
of Moses in his final sermon as the people leave the wilderness and go into the promised land. So these books follow on each other. And Dave, it's very important to notice that Leviticus follows on the end of Exodus. And in fact, maybe we should look at the way the book of Exodus closes in order to set up the significance of Leviticus for us. So here are the last few verses of Exodus chapter 40, the final verses in that book. Then the cloud, and that cloud refers to the divine glory, the Shekinah that represented the presence of God. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So that is the climax of the book of Exodus, which also helps bookend from the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning of Genesis, Adam and Eve fell into sin and were exiled from God's presence. Now God is starting to make his move to rejoin his people. And uh, so now the end of Exodus, God has kind of moved in. He's moved into the tabernacle. End of Exodus, first line of Leviticus 1, and now God, from that tabernacle, God calls Moses over, and he called and said, okay, now that I've moved in, here's what you need to do to keep me here. If a holy God's going to live with these people, they're going to have to do some things to be distinctive so that God can stay with them, and that sets up the entire book of Leviticus. Right. So if we ask ourselves, where in the, in the journey does this all take place? The answer is, we're still at Mount Sinai. Right. So Exodus shows the dramatic story of uh, how the Israelites escaped from Egypt. You know, that's the first 20 chapters that you talked about, Scott. It's pretty exciting. And uh, so there are the plagues that happen. M- Moses and Aaron are sent to announce, let my people go. And Pharaoh digs in his heels. And finally, he has to give up because of the terrible things that have happened. And they escape through the Red Sea. And the Egyptian host is destroyed. And then they come to Mount Sinai, and the people are terrified on Mount Sinai because God is kind of scary. And so they ask Moses to speak on their behalf, and they build the tabernacle. God comes down. He fills it. But we're still there now for the book of Leviticus. They haven't moved on yet. They haven't reached the promised land. There's some things they need to learn, and that's exactly what we're told in Leviticus. And unfortunately, if we just look ahead a little bit, they don't learn things terribly well because by the time you get to Numbers, which as we just said, the Hebrew title was in the wilderness, they they have a fall off of faith quite quickly and end up being in the wilderness for 40 years. But right, this is where we are. The people were terrified of God, but God does want to show them what they need to do if they are going to keep God's presence with them as they travel Eventually, if we look way down the road, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting will be succeeded by the temple in Jerusalem that ultimately Solomon will build. And then God will move in there and will sit on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. But Leviticus asks the question, how do we live with God? We're sinful people. We're fallen people. But what can we do to live faithfully with God without God having to, you know, leave us or without our being killed on account of the holiness of God and so forth? So what does this mean? How are the people going to do it? Uh, We'll dig into... uh, a lot of that in the book of Leviticus in just a moment. 
What does the good life mean to you? Do we find the good life in money and possessions? Do we achieve the good life when all our dreams come true? Or is it about having good relationships and serving our communities? Jesus marked out the path to the good life in his teaching. He explained that we find real life when we give up our own selfish desires and attitudes so that God can grow his life in us. By dying to self, we live as our creator intends us to. Only then can we really live the good life. Join today in September for a series of devotions titled The Good Life. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose. And Dave, we were just saying that the, the message of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the way the book of Exodus ended with God's holy and divine presence moving in to the midst of his people Israel, that sets the stage for Leviticus. And here's how Leviticus begins. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting and said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When any one among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. So we start out very early, right in the first chapter, David, this whole matter to which the entire third program of this series will be dedicated, this idea of sacrifice, that they're going to have to keep doing things to keep their relationship with God intact. Exactly. So there's seven full chapters at the beginning of Leviticus pointing out all these different offerings, and we'll say a little something about each of them in a bit. But in addition to that, this had to happen sort of daily, constantly, because as we saw at the end of Exodus, they never went anywhere without God. God God was the one who signaled with this cloud of glory and fire at night when they were to move and when they were to stop, and it would settle on the tabernacle. And the point is, That's not especially safe if you just kind of casually take it for granted, because it's a little bit like having some radioactive material in your kitchen right in the middle of your house. Uh, You better have a shield of some sort to protect you from that. And unfortunately, early in the narrative, uh, we don't often think of Leviticus as having a lot of narrative, a lot of story. We think about it as all laws, and a lot of it is. But there are narratives in here, and there's a very sad story involving uh, some of the sons of Aaron, right? So we call this book Leviticus because it's about the Levites, about the priesthood. And here we read in Leviticus 10, Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. And so fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. And uh, then there's a little more of a story about disposing of the bodies of Nadab and and Abihu. But this is a very disturbing story. Right, absolutely. And and it's one of many, uh, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, There's a lot there that puzzles us. So interestingly, we're introduced to this idea that's going to become the major theme of Leviticus, as we'll see in our next program, the holiness of God, the complete, utter, absolute holiness. So God says, look, I will be proved holy in the sight of everyone. You're not going to mess with me. And uh, apparently these two sons of Aaron who were had seniority as the oldest, 
they were going to be the chief priests after him, but they die because of offering something that was improper, something that was illegitimate. And that bothers us. And it bothered Aaron, certainly. Uh, (laughs) And then he's told by Moses, now, don't you grieve. Uh, You keep going. You've been ordained to the priesthood and you can't break that or interrupt it. You got to hang in there. So there's a very sort of solemn setting here as if to underscore the importance of doing these sacrifices just right. And again, we were saying uh, in Exodus, the people of Israel at Sinai were, were terrified of God. So God spoke only to Moses. And now you sort of have this idea that, well, there might be reason for a little holy terror. Uh, here are two people who, in the sight of the, the Israelites, are zapped by God, killed on the spot. But this is one of those stories, Dave, that's very early in the history of Israel. And there's a sense in which a lot of the Old Testament is actually, well, ideally, it was supposed to be the maturing of Israel, that they have to grow up. They have to learn things. They're a very immature people right now. And so consider this to be a very grim, (laughs) fatal object lesson that the holiness of God and the presence of God is nothing to be trifled with. Yeah, you don't right. take it for granted. You don't break God's rules with impunity. Uh, so Nadab and Abihu are a little headstrong. Maybe they get out, out ahead of themselves. They get out ahead of their skis. They do something God didn't ask them to do in a way God told them not to do it. Now, the punishment seems kind of stiff. But right. again, this is part of the education uh, of the people of Israel, and uh, this is a very tough lesson, but it's meant to teach them something about how serious the presence of God in their midst really is. Yeah. As you were saying that, Scott, I thought of another story that comes later in the Old Testament, the story of Uzzah. He's the guy who put out his hand to study the ark when it was being moved on a cart in the time of David, and he died on the spot because you just don't mess with the holy things. You don't do anything in an unauthorized way, including hauling the ark around on a cart. So that's part of the lesson that, as you say, the people of Israel had to learn. And interestingly, in these early chapters of Leviticus, the sacrifices are sort of sequentially spelled out. So you start with a sin offering and a guilt offering. And those obviously were to do with one's own sin or the people's sin, the sin of the community as a whole. And then following that, they would be offered the burnt offering, which was completely consumed, and the grain offering or cereal offering, uh, which represented sort of the worshiper's offering of themselves completely and wholly and their work, their labor to the Lord. And finally, there was the peace offering or the fellowship offering is maybe a better name for it, which symbolized actually participating with the community in fellowship with God. So there was an order to do these things, and apparently that was the problem with Nadab and Abihu. And as we'll see on the next program on Holiness, Dave, this really does become a, a constant daily concern. They are not supposed to act like the other nations. They are Israel in God's plan, going all the way back to the call of Abram way back in Genesis 12, right? Israel is God's beachhead. Israel is the, the, the launching pad for God's global salvation. The stakes couldn't be higher, in other words. Israel has to get this right. Israel has to be a distinctive elect covenant people of God, because the salvation of the cosmos is ultimately going to depend on it. So 
this is serious business, and this is a terrible story in Leviticus 10, but if you want to sober people up and, and get their attention, well, this was one way, right. a, a terrible way to do it. Right. And then there are lots and lots of laws in Leviticus, and we'll talk about those in uh, our future programs. But for now, perhaps we could just say uh, many of these things no longer have relevance for us as Christians because they've been fulfilled in Christ, and we'll, we'll talk about how that happens. But meanwhile, is there something of relevance still for us to find in this book? And we think there is. We'll talk about that in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Scott Jose, along with Dave Bast, and you're listening to Groundwork and this first program in a four-part series on the Bible's third book, the book of Leviticus. And Dave, we just saw a symbol, a story that showed the seriousness of what it means to live in the holy presence of God. A terrible thing happened that showed that indeed this is serious. And the rest of Leviticus, we'll talk about holiness and sacrifice and welcoming the stranger, and we'll think about that. But what we want to do in the closing of this program, Dave, is to say, we're Christians now. This was a long time ago. We know a lot of this stuff doesn't really literally apply to us anymore. What does? Yeah. Well, first, let's talk about what doesn't. The biggest thing probably we need to take away is that we don't have to be afraid any longer of entering God's presence. We saw the story of uh, the seriousness of doing that in, in maybe the wrong way. But the great change that's come with Christ into the world, and specifically with his death and resurrection on our behalf, is that the way is open right into the Holy of Holies. So the book of Hebrews has this wonderful uh, passage where it writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and you can see the imagery of the tabernacle right. and the temple there. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance, the assurance that faith brings. So we no longer have to be afraid. This is an incredible privilege. We can go straight ourselves. We don't need another priest to go on our behalf. We have Jesus, our great high priest, and the way has been opened straight to the throne, uh, right into the Holy of Holies. And we'll talk about in this series that holiness and holy practices uh, properly remain a concern for Christians. But uh, another thing that doesn't apply to us are uh, a lot of the particulars of the ceremonial laws in Leviticus and the food laws. Uh, and of course, some of that was still kind of a big deal in Jesus' day. But in Mark 7, when the uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law are accusing the disciples of eating things in an improper way, Jesus uh, calls them up short 
and says, no, well, hold on a minute. So Jesus in Mark 7, 14 called the crowd and said, listen to me, everyone, understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. So Jesus is now talking about inner purity. So purity is still important for us Christians. We get to it now through the waters of baptism and through grace, but it is no less of concern now than it was for Israel living in the presence of God. But he internalizes it. So he's saying, in fact, Mark goes on to declare uh, that Jesus said by saying this, he made all foods clean. There are no longer unclean foods. And we'll see that there's a lot about that in Leviticus. But it's no longer a matter of somehow being contaminated by something physical outside of you that makes you impure. But rather, it's the things that come out of your fallen sinful heart that reveal the impurity. And as you say, Scott, that can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus and the waters of baptism. So that's good news. And the other thing is we need to learn to see people as children of God and not as somehow unclean or impure uh, themselves either, uh, which is one of the lessons. Sadly, if you think about the history of Israel, we talked about, you mentioned, Scott, that they had to learn. Uh, It was a learning curve. And they did learn. It was some hard lessons, especially in the exile. But they eventually learned to keep themselves very separate and to keep the laws very carefully until by the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were noteworthy in this respect. But unfortunately, they had also developed a kind of a a worldview that saw people as unclean who weren't Jewish. And Peter had to be taught this lesson in the book of Acts, when God gave him a vision of a sheet with animals in it, and uh, the voice said, Peter, kill and eat. Right. And it was not kosher food. Peter resisted. Uh, God there in that vision lifted food restrictions, but it was more important than that because no sooner does he have that vision and there's a knock on his door and he's being invited to the house of a Gentile named Cornelius. And Peter has to go there and eat their non-kosher food and be in their non-kosher presence because God doesn't show partiality, which will be something that will come up in the final program of this series. But So those are some other things. But one thing we should say in closing, Dave, is that another lesson for Leviticus for today might be that even now, we don't have to be scared of God. We don't have to be terrified of God. You just read that great verse from Hebrews that we should enter God's presence with confidence. On the other hand, we shouldn't be overly chummy with God or assume that God's just distant and we can do what we want. The sociologist Christian Smith has identified kind of a new heresy rampant in the United States called moral therapeutic deism, where people just sort of assume God doesn't care what we do as long as you're basically nice. God grades on the curve. He's the the kind old man upstairs. No big deal. Maybe we've gotten overly casual about some things, including with our relationship with God, a little overly chummy me, a little overly familiar, as though God's just another guy uh, that we just have a really... No, there is still this incredible divide that we need to respect through holy living, through our obedience. This is still serious stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it makes me think of a story from uh, my days as an English major. There was a a Victorian uh, writer named Thomas Bowdler who published a different and new edition of Shakespeare's plays. He called it the family Shakespeare because he had taken out, quote, those words and expressions that are omitted, which cannot with propriety be read aloud in a family. (laughs) And if you know Shakespeare, you know, there's a lot of raunchy, racy stuff in it. 
And I think some people approach the Bible that way, and they kind of take out or ignore all those things that speak of God's holiness and God's setting himself against sin and God's wrath, even, and judgment. And Leviticus doesn't permit us to do that, really. We can be grateful for the rich teaching that it gives us of the character and the person of God. We can be especially grateful that the sacrifices have been fulfilled and all things are now clean and to be received by us with thanksgiving. But let's not trifle with God or pretend that we can somehow treat him as a pet. And that is, I think, an important lesson of Leviticus for today. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Dave Bast. We hope you will join us again next time as we study the holiness code in Leviticus and discuss how it applies to Christians today as we seek to be holy as God is holy. Connect with us at our website, groundworkonline.com, and share what Groundwork means to you. Make suggestions for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Media a family of programs designed to help you see your whole life reframed by God's gospel story. Visit reframemedia.com for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our content and managing producer is Courtney Jacobs.